And Jesus has then also the sword of the Spirit, and he wields it effectively. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's effective in your own heart. It's effective in using it to fend off the temptations that would come. It's effective in teaching others and helping them. It provides what is necessary. It gives everything that is necessary without exception. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. These are verses you've known forever. Some of you do have these memorized, but they're not changing your life like they should. And we see Jesus practically living out what we are commanded to do and what he then models for us. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Your word I have treasured in my heart. That's verse 11. That I might not sin against you. Have you? You know the words. You've learned that, some of you, you knew that when you were two years old, three years old, and your life is a mess because you haven't done it, and your relationships are, are, are in a constant turmoil because you don't do that. You haven't treasured it. That is, it's, it's valuable. It's not that you've hidden it there so you can't find it. This isn't like pirate treasure. We go and we bury it so we can't find it again. Be careful when you teach that to your children. It's a word I've treasured in my heart. Great, so I locked it up so I can't see it. Where'd it go? It's in the chest. It, it's buried six feet under. No, treasure means valued. It's in the special protected spot in my heart so it doesn't get snatched away by the evil one. So the circumstances don't cause me to forget it. It's it's in the most special place in my inner man, in my intellect, in my affections, in my will. It's at at, at the forefront. We call it the forefront of our minds, the most valuable place. That's where you put the stuff you really need to know. The math you learned in high school, gone. Gone. You don't have to treasure that in your heart. I'm I'm sorry, math teachers. I'm a math major. Unless, of course, you're an engineer. And then you'd better treasure the math because you're going to build a bridge and we're going to die. So don't do that. But nonetheless, if you're an English teacher, you probably don't have to have the math treasured in your heart. But you had best have Scripture treasured in your heart. How are you going to keep you a pure young man, old man, young woman, old woman, only only through the truths of Scripture. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he shall meditate day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Some of you have withering leaves. Your tree is shrunk. It's like my garden. I went out and still had these old skeletal plants left from last year. Men, we were talking about this weekend, cultivate and keep. Well, I did cultivating last year. I didn't keep. 
and I have a mess and guarded. Now I got to do all this other stuff. Well, without scripture and without constant meditation, without constant consideration of this truth, your leaf withers. And I can, uh, look, I'll just give you a total guarantee that if you are in a mess in your relationships, in a mess at work, in a mess anywhere, it's because you have not delighted in the law of the Lord and you have not applied it. Because if you did, you wouldn't be in that mess. Now, I'm not talking the circumstantial mess. I'm talking your bitterness, frustration, anger, anxiety that happened as a result of those relationships. And in that circumstance, it wouldn't be if you were properly meditating on and applying the truths of Scripture. That's an absolute scriptural guarantee. You would be fruitful. You would be flourishing. You would be joyful. And so would I. Again, that's, that's an absolute guarantee. There's no circumstance, no difficulty in which that is not true. That if you had hidden the Word of God in your heart and were applying it, and we're understanding it and putting it into practice that you wouldn't be flourishing because every believer has the same word and they have the same spirit who enables them to do it. Not one of you has less, if you're a true believer, not one of you has less than the spirit of God, not one of you has less than the full amount of resources that you need. Isn't that the beauty of being a believer? Man, if I just had the second blessing, if I just had reached that, if I had spoken in tongues and reached that next plane, then I could overcome everything that I needed. Scripture never teaches that. There is no such thing. The first blessing is the fullness of the Spirit of God which comes at salvation that you have entire access to through the Word of God. He's all there. He works through His Word. He works through the proper understanding and application of the Word in every circumstance, and you can be fruitful, and you can be successful. Jesus was. This is what He proves. He had meditated on Scripture. He had memorized Scripture. Oh, and another fantastic verse, Romans 15, 4. We sing it as a song. You can help me out, those that know the song. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Hey, thank you, Josiah. We give a little hay in there because it just get, it punctuates. It's just fun. Uh, we, do it, we do it around our dinner table. And the, it, my kids love these songs because we do the hay. And then it says, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And then it's ya-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. That's the way we do it. It helps us remember it, and it's very true. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Jesus is quoting what was written in the past. It was written to teach him, to teach him, Jesus, the Son of God, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, you might have hope. Are you lacking hope this morning? Relationships seem too hard for you. Job situations seem out of control. School situation just totally blown. You have hope if you will trust in the truth of the word of God by the power of the spirit of God. Because if you're a believer, you have full resources. Jesus then, thirdly here, he applied scripture. Jesus knew the scripture. He meditated on its meaning and he was able to use it to fend off temptation. He applied it properly the right scripture, the right principle that is embodied in the scripture at the right time. And that's what it means in Ephesians 6.17 when it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is your tool. Satan is coming at him. And this is the way that he responds. He responds with the word of God. He's got the shield of faith. He's got the helmet of salvation. He's got the belt of truth. He's got the shoes of the gospel. And Jesus has then also got the, the sword of the spirit and he wields it effectively. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God 
The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's effective in your own heart. It's effective in using it to fend off the temptations that would come. It's effective in teaching others and helping them. It provides what is necessary. It gives everything that is necessary without exception for every circumstance of the heart and soul, in every place you might live, in every time in which you might live, until Christ comes again. Scripture is fully sufficient. Do you believe it? Well, you believe it when I just said it to you here. You nod and smile. Of course. Are you? Well, some of you. Some of you are listening to that going, you're crazy. Might, might be some of you sitting here. What are you talking about? That's a ridiculous claim for Scripture. Far, you're way out of bounds here. And some of you, that, that tweaked you a little bit. What, every situation, every time, every place in the world, for all of eternity, essentially, Scripture is that powerful? It is. But are you living that way? Do you know it that way? Now, the, I'm encouraged that you're here because, you know, you come and listen to a 50, 55, 56, seven-minute sermon where it's explained and you keep coming. So I have some hope that you do actually believe that and are actually doing it. Otherwise, I don't think you'd be sitting here. But nonetheless, it needs to go out of here continually being used. Jesus applies Scripture. Now let's look at that insightful use of Scripture that he uses. Jesus' insightful use, Spirit-led use of Scripture. Remember, he's full of the Spirit. The Spirit descended upon him at his baptism. He's being led by the Spirit. So how does the Word of God work? It is illuminated by the Spirit of God, and then the Spirit of God brings it to mind, but he doesn't bring to mind the Word you don't know. He doesn't create the Word of God in your heart so that you speak it. That's improper charismaticism. God creates the Word in the moment, in your heart. That's what the Spirit does, so you can respond to temptation. That's a lie. It is a lie. The Spirit of God does not create the word in the moment in your heart. He uses the word in your heart that was put there that you knew and understood from what he wrote. Nonetheless, it's supernatural that he brings it to mind. It is an absolute miracle of God that he illumines it to you and brings it to your mind so that you might respond with wisdom, which is the power that you need to overcome temptation. An absolutely supernatural work, a spiritual work based on your intellect, your will, your desires, that the spirit is animated through the truth of the word. That's being led by the spirit. And that's what is happening here an insightful, spirit-led use of Scripture to overcome temptation and be prosperous and successful to accomplish the work of God. It's what Jesus did. It's what you need. He identifies the problem. Man shall not live on bread alone. He is quoting here from Deuteronomy 8.3. All of the quotations that he will use in this passage come from Deuteronomy and really referencing the wandering of the children of God in the wilderness, a rich ripe passage for learning things about God because God was teaching Israel certain things that he wants us to know. That's how we link to Israel, by the way. We're the people of God that need to know the same things that Israel did. We're not Israel, but we certainly need to know the same things they did and we're the people of God. And so he says, look, there was a people of God that I taught as a nation in the wilderness. I gave them certain principles in that and you need to know them as the people of God that isn't a nation, that is the church, that's not tied ethnically. You still have to know them. And he quotes here, Man shall not live by bread alone. Satan's temptation was to get Jesus to focus on his temporal needs and thus sin in relationship to his spiritual priorities, 
We cannot allow our lives to be driven by these earthly needs and priorities. By earthly, I mean based on what the world desires, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. That's an earthly desire. Food isn't wrong to want, but to try to get food in an inappropriate way is wrong. Sexual desire is not wrong, but to try to gratify sexual desire in the wrong place at the wrong time is a sin. So we are to properly exercise the, the desires of our flesh and not, not flip over into the desires of the world, right? Uh, that is fleshly desires which are not in and of themselves sinful. And then because we have a sinful nature, we then have pride and arrogance that, that comes up into our heart and mind through our sinful flesh, and that too we have to defeat. We can't be driven by those things. Guys, we need to eat and drink to stay alive. We are greatly impacted by the circumstances of life, but the believer recognizes that all of these things have a bigger context, bringing glory to God by finding our satisfaction in Him alone. Man does not live on bread alone. That is, the earthly circumstances do not dictate or drive the true needs of your life. They're immediate. They seem like they're the things that you have to have. They're what the world wants. But there is something that is far more important. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Just a couple of pages. We'll spend a lot of time on this later. I just want to read it to you. You see, the world is driven by their earthly priorities, by the things that they are sure that they have to have in physical terms. I must have food. I must have clothing. Implied all of the stuff that we need to have. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? Beginning in verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, that is the physical circumstances, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor to your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Man does not live by bread alone. He's using an Old Testament principle for teaching that he will later expound upon in his own inspired way. But he's going back to the Old Testament for the principle, and that's what he's quoting to Satan. Really, essentially, these these principles he's going to flesh out later on. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Do you see the resonance in this temptation? You're the son of God. Why isn't God providing for you? Whoa, wait a minute. God provides for the sparrows. He provides for for the flowers. And you aren't the son of God. You aren't the Lord Jesus. And yet he provides for you. Seek him. For the things that you really need, understanding that he will provide everything that is, that is necessary. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? A lot of you would live a lot longer if we actually lived this verse. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil or spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself as one of these. It goes on. Do not worry then, verse 31, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles, unbelievers eagerly seek all these things because it's all they know. Their stock market, their retirement accounts. I mean, this goes on. This is, he's giving the basics. Expand any earthly thing, any physical need that begins to drive your life. Gentiles seek these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these, and, and you know this verse, but seek first his kingdom, the work of God, and the power of God, for the purpose of pleasing God, and all these things will be added to you. Anything else that you actually need, God will bring. Do you believe it? When you get anxious, you're not seeking first the kingdom. You're seeking first what you can get, and you're worried that you're not going to get it. I am, you are. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, because that's what his kingdom is built upon. 
And when you do that, all these things that you actually need are added to you. This is what Jesus is saying. He identifies the problem. He's using an Old Testament verse and principle to do it. And it's the right principle because what God was teaching the children of Israel in the wilderness was the exact same principle. They were going to go to the promised land. At Cadiz Barnea, they go send the spies in. The spies come back and say, dude, they're too big. It's a wonderful land, but we can't go in. God won't provide because we're going to die. We're going to lose our lives if we go in there. And God had already said, you go in, I'll provide. So what does he do? He takes them into the wilderness. He says, you don't think I can provide? You don't think that I will actually take care of your physical needs? I'm going to put you in a place where you have nothing. No ability to care for a single need of your own. You can't get your clothes. You can't get your food. I'm going to give you manna. I'm going to keep your clothes from wearing out. I'm going to kill everyone that didn't obey me over the age of 20. And I'm going to demonstrate to you that man does not live by bread alone. That's what Jesus is quoting from. But by, he prescribes the solution, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is God who sustains you, his truth, his principles, his power. And in this situation, God is providing for them physically, directly in the wilderness, the manna. But the bigger picture there is not the food that he's providing. It's that it has to come from God. You are dependent upon him even for your food and clothing. But in a bigger picture, as God provides that, what is necessary is that you listen to his truth. You understand his principles so that you live life in a manner that pleases him. You accomplish his purpose, his will. He brings the rest because he's the one in charge of it anyway. You never were. Children of Israel who thought you were actually caring for yourselves and you couldn't go in because you weren't strong enough. You weren't actually providing for yourselves. You weren't actually bringing these things. I was, says God. So I'm going to demonstrate that to you for 40 years. And then Jesus is going to use it against Satan to say, I don't need bread from stones because I, what I need is every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And when I follow God's principles according to his word, he will provide everything else that I need. If I die here in the wilderness, implication, that's what God desired. I've lived according to his principles. I'm fine. He will provide for me when it's necessary. And that's the way we have to live. That's radical living. That's a living that the world knows nothing about. We're always hedging our bets with our physical needs, with our earthly desires, not truly believing that we must then live on every word that proceeds in the mouth of God. A couple implications here. Again, that's Old Testament quotation, Deuteronomy 8, 3, where, where this is God telling the people this through Moses. This is why this happened to you. And now Jesus is telling Satan, this is why I'm not going to respond to your temptation. But when he says every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, every word is comprehensive. Therefore, anything that God says is necessary for our sustenance, our spiritual sustenance. There's not one word that we can overlook, not one word that isn't necessary, not one word that isn't important in bringing his character and his nature to bear. And didn't we just spend our whole weekend on that? Sola Scriptura. That's the principle that is being stated here. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is what you need. And what is scripture? You already know the verse. Come on, make the tie. All scripture is God breathed. Everything in scripture is out of the mouth of God. Everything you have here are the words from God that you so desperately need. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you didn't believe that was a principle about the absolute sufficiency of Scripture, Jesus proves it here. Everything. This is everything you need for life and for godliness. Every word of Scripture is important. Every word of Scripture, the Bible says, is literally God-breathed. It is His words 
written down through men, but not written of men. It's not their words. Jesus had absolute confidence that the Father would provide everything that was necessary. D.A. Carson says, Israel's hunger had been intended to show them that hearing and obeying the word of God is the most important thing in life. Likewise, Jesus learned obedience through suffering as a son in God's house. More necessary than bread for Jesus was obedience to the word of God. What did Jesus say in John 4.34? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Is that your food? Do you look forward more to doing the will of God even than that next meal that you're going to have? That's why fasting, by the way, can be so valuable. And I commend it to you today. I commend it to you this week. I commend it to you in your life. Because when you begin to hunger and thirst for the things of God more than your food, then you can give up some meals to say, you know what, I'm going to pay attention to this. Because what I need from God is so much more important even than the food that I so crave, particularly when I really am hungry. That's why fasting can be so valuable. That is, by the way, exactly what Jesus is doing in the wilderness, demonstrating. He's already demonstrated that the word of God is more important to him than daily food by going into the wilderness and going without food for 40 days. He already knows this. He's living the principle that he is quoting here. He quotes it back to Satan as a means of saying, I'm already doing this. This is the principle. You're not going to get me with this temptation because I've already lived it. And I'm going to continue to live it. I'm applying it already. So we learn two vital truths then. God's word is sufficient then for eternal life. This is what scripture tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that we might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. There's only, there's, food provides you with physical life, right? You need more than physical life. You need spiritual, eternal life. Only the word of God provides that. You must have it. You can eat all your life and then die and spend eternity in hell, spiritual death. Jesus says the word of God is more important than the bread that I could make because it gives eternal life. That's the implication. And that's what you need more than you need physical life. God's word is sufficient for eternal life. First Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which is preached to you. Not some existential word in the moment, not some new word brought by the spirit of God in our day and age so that we can follow God. The old word, the word that was preached to you, the word that was written down. And then God's word is sufficient for godliness. Not only does God's word provide us with a spiritual life we so desperately need, the spirit then goes on to empower us to deepen in holiness and Christ likeness, which is the very means for which you have been, the very reason for which you have been created, that you would look like Jesus. Your life is prosperous and successful when you look more like Christ. I'll leave you with 2 Corinthians 3.18, as it speaks of the, the growth that we have in godliness and how we are to look like Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So, but we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That's what the Word of God will do for you. And it will enable you to overcome temptation, the ones that rise from your heart brought by the enemy of your soul, so that your life might accomplish all that God has for it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. And I thank you for the precious privilege of having the truth of your word. And I ask that you would give us grace that we might memorize it, that we might meditate on it, that we might apply it so that we would have the proper insight and truth necessary to overcome every temptation and that we might then accomplish your work so that you are glorified and we are fully satisfied in you. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.